When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abraham fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abraham. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And verse 15. God also said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, Will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, If only Ishmael may live under your blessing. Then God said, Yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will surely bless him. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. When he had finished speaking with Abraham, God went up from him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Claire. Shall I confess, Claire? I, I pulled a leg during the week and I said, could she read from Chronicles 6, which is one of the longest genealogies? And she, yeah, okay, well, I'll have a go at it. I'll have all over some of this if I can. Thank you, Claire. Well done. Have you ever been in one of those situations where you start a conversation, you can't suddenly get out of it? Have you been in that sort of situation? Yeah, it happened to me on Thursday. I was in the gym, I'd done my workout, I thought, I'll pop into the sauna. And I just, I, you could, I could just about go with 10 minutes in the sauna. Anybody go in the sauna at all here? How long can you go with? I mean, 10 minutes is a long time. I was just about to leave, and this, this foreign gentleman came in. Now, normally, nobody ever talks to you in the sauna. I see Ian there. They don't, Ian goes to the gym, too. They don't talk to you, do they, Ian? And this guy said, good morning. I thought, oh, dear. Well, I'd better say something. So I started talking to him. And we fell into conversation. I asked him what he was doing here. He was a religious representative from Morocco. He was one of a number of leaders from all over the world who were coming to a conference in, um, in London. And they're all staying in the Holiday Inn. And he is a, a sort of breakaway from Islam. 
And they, I got into conversation about what he believed. They believe in billions of years of evolution. They believe in a creator God. Uh, Jesus was just a prophet. Uh, because actually their leader, and I'm going to try and get his name right, the divine eminence Ra Riaz Gohar Shahi has declared that he is actually the Messiah. And so he is the Messiah, Jesus is not the Messiah, and they were all attending the Mount Shasta heart activation event. Well, yes, okay, it sounds a lot of fun, but actually this guy had tremendous faith and he had a great deal of hope. And yet I'm sitting there, I'm boiling, I'm dying to get out of the, the sort of, I'm going to faint any minute, but I'm thinking, wow, this guy's got so much faith and hope based on such little historical evidence. And that really struck a chord with me, that actually people can have faith and hope. And then I thought, wow, we're going to be talking about faith and hope on Sunday. And what have we got? So I got quite excited about that. Because two weeks ago, we drew a lot of strength and encouragement as we looked at the meaning of faith, God's covenant of faith with Abraham in Genesis 15. And so this week, as we move on to from faith to the assurance of things hoped for, well, it seems a good idea to explore our relationship with hope. So to do that, we're staying in Genesis, and we're continuing with the unfolding story of Abraham and Sarai, and this time in chapter 17. Well, we've moved on from chapter 15. It's now about a dozen, couple of dozen years later on. And unfortunately, the divine promises that Abraham had in Genesis 15, I hope you remember that from two weeks ago, they haven't materialized. So how did they manage to keep their hope alive? Or did it just falter? And what can we gather from this wonderful Old Testament story. Well, by now, Abram's nearly a centenarian. He's just one year short of becoming a hundred years old. And that's when the Lord shows up on his 99th birthday party. Now, you'll remember from chapter 15 how God had taken Abram out to view the night sky, and he'd promised that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars that twinkled in the sky. But that, of course, was years ago. Since then, of course, they planned to have children, but as one year turned into the next, they began to realize that planning wasn't enough. Something else was required. Despite God's promises, they were still childless. And eventually, eventually they got used to their quiet evenings alone. Well, Abraham was getting stiffer and more cranky anyway. Most evenings, Sarai would find him do dozing off in his chair. And as for his wife, well, even bending down was becoming a bit of a lengthy ordeal. I don't know what she means. But let alone imagining what it would have been like with a lusty toddler to care for they would have given up hope, accepted that things were fine as they were. But you see, the Lord wouldn't let them. He kept showing up and repeating his promise. To your offspring, I will give land. Genesis 13, 14 to 15. 
Raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northwards and southwards, add eastwards and westwards, for all the land you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. And Abram had to be content with that. So he moved his tent wherever the Lord told him. And as he dozed off in his chair in the evenings, he occasionally remembered the twinkling stars all those years ago. But Sarai was different, though. You see, she'd not been invited outside the tent that evening. And as her arthritis got worse and the hope and promise still showed no signs of materialising, she sent Abraham off to her Egyptian maid, Hagar. It's time we had some children around this place, she told him. And even if I can't have them, why don't you and Hagar get to know each other better? And they did. But surrogate parenting didn't work any better then than it does now. Hagar got pregnant and Sarai got hurt. Still, as far as they knew, Ishmael was the child God had promised them. And that's how they lived. So what if the boy was half Egyptian? Abraham could raise him as, as an Israelite and teach him to love God. Abraham was almost content, except, except there were still some nights when Sarai found him outside in the dark, staring up at the stars. Then when he was one year short of a hundred, God showed up again and renewed the covenant. I am El Shaddai, God said in Hebrew. And you see, that was a big birthday present for Abraham, to be given the divine name like that, because no good Hebrew would ever presume to speak or even to know the name of God. But you see, it was God's way of inviting Abraham into a closer relationship. And then to seal the bargain, God gave him an H from his own name, so that Abraham became Abraham meaning father of a multitude of nations. And because God is who he is, he changed Sarai's name to Sarah, meaning kings of people shall come from her. Name changes are important. When somebody's name changes, something inside that person usually changes with it. Fortunately, Abraham and Sarah were pretty close to Abraham and Sarai. That wasn't the problem. What was the problem, what was the problem, was what the name meant. You see, every time somebody forgot and called him Abraham, he had to remind them, it's Abraham now. Oh, right, yes, father of a multitude, the person would say. How could I forget? Then as he walked away from the old man, you could almost hear him muttering under his breath, father, father of a multitude, who does he think he's kidding? And it was worse for Sarah. Hagar simply stopped addressing her by name at all. After all, she was the one who'd borne Abraham a son. Why was she still called Sarah's maid? 
so that as every barren day went by for Sarah, it weighed more heavily on her heart. Sarah, mother of nations, she'd say to herself, some hope of that. And she could even sense the disappointment in Abraham, the hidden hope in his voice that one day, one day, the promise would come true. And one day, Sarah too would have a twinkling star in her eye too, as she came to Abraham and said, I've something to tell you. Instead, she wore her new name like the hair shirt that it was. But how long she'd have to wear it, how many years she'd have to hope against hope that the promise might be real, she didn't know. It's a hard thing to believe implicitly in a hoped-for promise, to live by it day by day, to see it in the night sky, to even hear it in your own name and that of your soulmate, when nothing, nothing seems to change. It's a hard thing to believe in a promise with no power to make it come true. Everything seems to be in the future tense. The land, the sun, the blessing. You fervently hope everything will happen by and by, but in the meantime, as you get older and more infirm, what hope is there to live for now? And yet, and I think this is the essence of the story. What better way to live than in the grip of a divine promise? I mean, who in their right mind would give that back? To wake up every morning to the possibility that today just might be the day you longed and hoped for. To stay awake all day long, noticing everything, the way the shade of the olive tree moves around the day from east to west, how the smell of the fields change from green grass to yellow hay as the sun beats down, to search the face of every stranger in case they turn out to be an angel sent from God, to take nothing for granted or to take everything for granted, to handle every moment of living as though it is a seed of the promise and to plant it tenderly, never knowing if this, if this moment or the next, that hope, that hope you have in your heart, will blossom and grow. I'd like to suggest that to live like that, to live like that, is to discover God's blessing. To discover that God's blessing is not for the future, but for the present, for the here and now. The promise may not be fully realized. It may still be on its way. But if we live reverently, deliberately, fully awake, fully alert, fully spiritually aware, then it adds a whole richness of dimension to the hope that we have within us. So that the waiting in itself is a spiritual appetizer a rich blessing, a foretaste of the divine hope to come.
And all it takes is to make sure that we've got our spiritual antennae on alert so that every worship time, every church fellowship, every act of community service, every time of Bible study, every moment when you want to escape from the sauna but realize you need to stay there, every moment is an act to renew the hope of the promise for us. And as long as the promise is renewed, then the promise is alive. It's as vivid as a rainbow, and it's as real as a million twinkling stars. This is what Abraham and Sarah found out. For so many years, they'd lived that promise of hope. They watered every seed that fell upon their paths without losing sight of where they were going or who'd set them on their way. Of course, there were lean times, and there were fat times too. But insofar as they were always God's times, they were good times, rolling ahead of them like a red carpet before VIPs. Never did this promise of hope seem more truer to them than on that spring morning when Sarah came to her husband and said with a twinkle in her eye, Abraham, I have something to tell you. Amen.